to another episode of the snap no tap podcast from tony Cicchini with joe cardinal and we have a one of the world's greatest grapplers and one of the world's greatest friends one of the best friends i've ever had in my life you've heard about him you've read about him you've seen him on color tv javier palomo is our special guest today but before we get to him we have a just we got to do our announcements which I want to turn over to the real reason everybody's here, to see or hear. I've been getting emails saying, you know, as good looking as Joe is, he's much better looking when we hear him on the radio. So you take that for what it's worth. But we're going to turn it over to handsome Joe Cardinal. And, you know, the real shame of this is they can never, never really smell me. You know, they can hear me. Some of them can see me, but they, they miss the trifecta to get the full effect. But that's well, when they fun. have holograms eventually, shortly, are, I mean, like, can we smell the holograms or like whatever or what? You know, we should we should make a pitch for that. I think, you know, that might be the business success thing is, you know, the smell, smellable hologram. Um, so I'm sure there's a market for it. We'll so, call it a smellogram. Yeah. OK. Um, but uh, big pitches. First of all, we've got a sale going on, correct? Like a Black Friday sale for your products. So yeah, we, and a matter of fact, the code is black, the word black with a capital B, 2022, one word, black, 2022, but the numbers. Well, Joe will put it in the description, but for those of you who are listening, so it's 25% off of my downloads, digital things um, from today, which is the 20th of November to uh, December 1st, 2022. So it's a long uh, extended uh, version of a black black friday so it's a black sunday but yeah definitely if you've been looking to get uh any of tony's videos obviously the classics lost out of hooking snap no tap but there's a bunch of other content up there uh and exercise stuff as well so please look to get those videos for your library this would be a great time to jump on that um upcoming seminars so we just had the seminars this weekend came off of some great seminars working out with guys a lot of good information next month uh we start at jason benders on the 17th 1 30 p.m. is the time and then uh at DuPage Krav Maga the fo- that same Sunday so Saturday Sunday back-to-back seminars that would be the 18th so stay uh sign up for that otherwise you're missing out great instruction there and great groups of guys to work out with and of course our membership sites you know if you can't make those things if you can't afford the downloads you know at least show your support you know if you enjoy the podcast we've had really a really good streak of guests lately on this podcast, you know, Terry Dow, Eric Paulson, Russell Stutley, Greg Malay, and now Javier, just the hits keep coming. If you're enjoying this podcast, if you're getting good content and enjoying the conversation, please show your support by joining the monthly membership. There's two levels, 
you know, the kind of Patreon five level show, uh, the $5 a month level uh, at a minimum. Uh, but also there's a $10 a month level where we have additional video instruction content that's available only through that um, access. So those are our two things. But I, I think we've done all of our plugs and uh, we're ready to go. You, you need to be on PBS like when they're having a, a fundraiser. And you're pretty good at that. You know, I, I do feel that we're missing tote bags. Like if we had Tony <laughs> Cicchini tote bags to give away um, that, yeah, we would we'd definitely bump our numbers up. So we'll look into that. Good, good thought. <laughs> Well, I'll introduce the the guy, the King of Kings. Well, I mean, yeah, Javi, it was interesting. I was looking back. He was one of our first guests, uh, appropriately so, obviously, because he was a longtime student of yours. Um, but uh, he's just been, you know, it's hard to sum up all the things he's done. He's got black belts in, you know, gi jiu-jitsu, in 10th planet jiu-jitsu, judo. Uh, I, I, you've achieved high ranks in sambo. Um, I'm trying to think what else he does. You know, he... He slices fries. He dices. Um, uh, uh, Actually, really, those are things that I don't do. Come on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, you know, one competitions all over, you know, all over the globe. He's always traveling and competing. And, um, you know, even if he wasn't one of our own, I think he'd, he'd be fascinating just to have a, a, a talk with. And so we're just super proud and excited to have him back on. Uh, so returning guest, it's been too long. Javi, what have you been up to? Oh, you know, the usual, just a, uh training like a maniac and um, taking over a, a little bit more in a, in a coaching role, uh, really trying to, trying to bring up the next generation. Um, so yeah, you know, that, that, that's the main thing. I, I teach and train full time now. Uh, I don't have a, don't have a, a, a regular Joe job anymore. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, live the dream. Well, yeah, it, some days it's more the dream than the, than others, you know, um, you know, some things don't change. Uh, student accountability is still one of the biggest parts of, uh, of the job, making sure the guys, uh, actually do what they say they're going to do. And when they don't get on them, but not getting on them too hard. Cause you know, they're the customer. It's a tricky balance. Some days. Where's your gym or who, what, give us, tell us about this. So I mainly teach out of um, 3D MMA in Hanover Park, which is Dennis Dombrow's gym. Uh, we've got a, a sort of a, a mixed program with uh, wrestling, jujitsu, um, kickboxing slash Muay Thai. Uh, it's a small gym right now, uh, but the student the student growth is pretty impressive. So we're we're kind of getting to the point where we need to start looking for for bigger spots. Good for you. You uh, deserve it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I teach. Uh, I teach five days a week, mostly in the evenings, but also uh, during the day on on weekends. Um, and yeah, yeah, no. Overall, that's that's been a pretty primary focus for a while now. Uh, we've got some really good guys coming up. Uh, Dennis runs a an event out of the gym that uh, we call it uh, Don't Tap Championship, and that's a submission only format uh, grappling competition. And a bunch of the guys are, are pretty serious competitors, just a small handful. You know, we got a lot of students and only a few of them compete as is pretty typical, uh, but they're coming on up. They're really doing well for themselves. You know, Joe was thinking about uh, opening up a tour or like doing a tournament. Um, we just discussed this Saturday. They were going to hold it at a restaurant though, I guess. And they were going to call that don't tip tournament. Okay. Cause Joe's not known as a good tipper. You know, is he so. a championship non-tipper? Is that is that what's going on here? 
Well, with his looks, you know, they tip him. Oh, I mean, you know, think about nice. it. Also, I mean, I Rick Sala, we had with math. So once I have to do percentages or adding and subtracting, it just, it, it, you know, that's just asking a little too much if you're asking me. So, I, I mean, you do have a phone. It's got a calculator app. I think that, I think there's ways around this with technology. This is that what you crazy kids and your fantasy ideas. Come on, that kind of stuff doesn't exist. <laughs> you're gonna hold up a brick phone any second now. One of the old ones with a with a with a little ring cable that the kids wouldn't even recognize these days. Yeah. Oh man, I miss landlines, answering machines, the good old days. Oh, answering machines. There's something I haven't thought about in years. Man, voicemail. Oh. I I'm a little bit older than you guys, and I can remember the rotary phones before push buttons. You know, well, we. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a house that had a rotary phone. Uh, I had a pager back in the day. Oh, know. I never had one. <laughs> really? No, I never had a pager. I, ha- I have one right now, actually. <laughs> what in God's me. name? Wow, uh, you still do those? How does that work? Uh, I mean, I know how it works, but I'm just like, like, for what purpose do you actually have a pager? That? Um, well. Is this how they get in touch with you, secret agents? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um Let's just say certain people believe that that is more reachable than cell phones. So um, I'm not going to get into it too much. It's a work thing. All right. <laughs> I, I was sure it was. It was either right. that or, you know, you, you, I think drug runners still use them probably. Oh, God. Little, I knew you were going to go there. A little less traceable, right? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to go there, Javier. Shame on you. No. Yeah, uh, that is what it is. But, you know, it's see, you know. It's fascinating that you left the corporate world or what not, you know, the business world and you, I don't, yeah, you did, no, it was, it thing. was definitely the corporate world. Yeah. And you did the thing, you know, um, I always complained that I should have went into that world because by now I could have been retired and, you know, whatever, right. but, um, you do what you got, you, you do what you do. Um, you know, I want to, uh, you know, uh, we had, we had Eric Paulson on and, well, Eric kind of talked about how he used to train, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've talked about how I used to train, but you're, you know, 20 years older than when I first met you. So without getting into the techniques or just wh- how do you maintain your training at your age and ma- basically explain how many hours, what do you eat, you know, that kind of jazz for other people okay. to understand. Um, yeah, so, uh, just a, a, like a, a real quick, I didn't used to train as intensely in terms of the, the volume of hours as I do currently. Um, I, I got laid off from my job years ago and during that, it was the first time I'd ever been unemployed since I was like, I don't know, 15 or 16 years old for more than like a week. And during that period of time, I'm like, well, I'm going to try and enjoy this. So I'll start going to classes, you know, not just in the evenings after work, but I'll go to the morning classes. And when I've got time in the day, you know, I'll go to some noon classes and uh, training full time like that, like a professional athlete um, was a pretty eye opening experience. Um, I actually like in that moment, you know, I kind of realized after like the first week of doing it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is this is what actually makes me happy. You know, th- this is probably, this was probably my real calling my whole life, but you know, I, I let typical views of what I should do 
kind of get in the way of that. And that's why I, I pursued a, a slightely different life path. But uh, um, one can you guess how old you were when this happened? Oh, geez. This wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things. So I was, you know, in my man, I'd have to look back to be sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not the best with dates. Um, but yeah, I was in my, I was in my late thirties. It was just. Okay. So not a young man. So work, you're training yeah. full time and still, you know, kind of. In so I was, company. yeah, I, I was, I was working full time training in the evenings, except on weekends when I could train during the day. And then that happened. And suddenly I'm like, I have an abundance of free time. Um, I'm going to try and enjoy myself while still, you know, looking for the next job. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed that uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, I, I, I accomplished quite a bit in terms of uh, like getting some competitive goals out of the way in, in after that, where I, where I realized, because a, a part of me was like, well, I can't train that much. Like, fit, I don't even know if I can physically do it. Um, but once I started doing it, I'm like, okay, this is definitely possible. Um, I'm not, I'm not too old for this. Um, so, uh, when I, when I did get a job, I, I actively worked to try and get a job that I could work around that training schedule for a very, very good number of years. What ended up happening is I was working night shift and I was training in the mornings and training in the evenings. And then basically going straight from the gym to work. Um, to, to work my evening shift. So it was pretty typical for me to go to like a noontime class we would have. And then uh, I would go home, you know, take a nap, um, wake up, train some more in the evening slash spend some time with my family, um, then go to work, uh, had showers at work. So if I was running late, that wasn't usually a problem. Uh, and I'd work until like six in the morning. And then I just go home, you know, get a meal, crash for a couple of hours and wake back up and go to the noon classes. And uh, I maintained that for a number of years until eventually um, I was done with corporate America. And uh, that resulted in a lot better sleep. <laughs> say that much. Uh, well, you know, you're hitting on something that a lot of people don't get, uh, you know, they can't fathom. Like, you know, you were able to train full time. I used to train full time. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult for people who can't train full time to reach those high levels, you know, uh, world class levels. And many times they think, oh, the stuff I'm learning isn't good or my instructor. But it's really, you know, it's how much time you put in uh, equality. As long as it's good quality, yeah. you were able to do that, which is great. I'm going to say this, like, I, you know, as a coach, I'm trying to figure this out still, you know, and, and we're working it to different degrees, obviously different sports have it worked out different ways. Judo and wrestling have a uh, pretty well-established programs in various countries. Um, but the, the amount of mat time that is necessary to take someone from like very low skill to very high skill, where we're talking about like being able to compete at a, at a national international level um, versus how much downtime they should have, how much, uh, you know, uh, supplemental cardio, supplemental strength and conditioning, you know, finding those numbers is actually pretty interesting stuff right now. Um, but I do generally find that most athletes will over-focus on either skill development where they're going to classes where they're learning lots of stuff, um, or they'll over-focus on the sparring element, rolling, training, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
where they're not necessarily attending a lot of classes, but they are trying to get in a lot of rolling time. And the rolling time tends to beat guys up a lot more, obviously. Um, but without, without the live element of it in proper amounts, then the train, the, 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 the technical work doesn't necessarily stick. It depends on like the manner in which people drill it, um, how they, how they approach the training. So like, if you're going to like, I don't know, let's say seven classes a week, which is an enormous number of classes for most people, but like my average week is 13 plus, um, then you're probably going to want to spar more than you strictly need to um, on certain days. Whereas like, how do I explain this? Like, like if you're only going like twice a week, you know, which I, I think is pretty typical for a lot of people, then you're like, Oh, I can't wait to learn stuff. And you get your technique in and then you're like, I can't wait to roll. And then for a lot of guys, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to go more times a week, but I only want to go like heavy rolling on one night so that I can let my body rest. Um, and then they'll do like, like a weird balance of like rolling versus technique. And they, they, they try to find that balance. And what I've just kind of done is I roll basically every day, oftentimes twice a day, but certainly not with like murderous intensity with every single role. You know, when I'm going with a guy who's less skilled, I can chill out. Um, I can work on specific things. Um, and then the technical work, like in the classes that I'm running, I'm in control of what's being taught. So I can work on stuff that I personally need to progress in that. I also feel my students need to progress in. Whereas when I wasn't in control of the curriculum, uh, it'd be very difficult to just be like, show up and like, okay, well, this is the theme of the day. It's not something I need personally to work on right now for whatever I've got coming up. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily see the same kind of progress in, in technique. And then of course, since you're not working on something that you're trying to work on in your, in your own game and practice, um, you don't get the, the repetition and the reinforcement of the live drills the same way, live rolling. So finding that happy balance is pretty difficult for a lot of guys, especially the guys that are doing this more or less part-time. Yeah, no, it is. And because I, I, through the years of, if not in person, I would get emails from people from wherever, you know, uh, and ask me, how long will it take to get good? Or like with the Tri-C program, that's the first, how long will it take? I, it's not a, can't answer that because, you know, how much right. time do you have to put in, you know, and, it, it, that isn't even accurate because some people are quicker learners or, you know, whatever, or already have established um, background. So I was always lucky. I, I guess you could call it that where I had the time to train and get all the technique. And uh, um, so, I, but again, I came up in a different time, a different structure. I, I never went to a class like you guys did. So I, I really had an advantage because my training was 100% geared for me. You know, I was lucky that way, right? As opposed to like what you just said, you may show up at a class and it's not anything you're interested in or it's not any techniques you, you, you care to develop or need to develop. So I've been, I was, you know, kind of blessed with, with that. Um, But you know, Javier, you're an inspiration to a lot of people. You should be. Um, and I can remember, I don't want to get too personal with stuff, but I can remember everything that we went through in our personal lives and professional lives, you know, and to see you, remember you then and now, you know, the change, all for the good. Everything's positive. But, I mean, it's just, 
you know, uh, it's a, it's fascinating because, you know, you're, you're an enigma in a way, you know, uh, and for those people who don't really know too much about Javier, Javier used to be our, I don't know what you would call it, but our, if you think you're good at submissions or you think you got this submission down, come here, Javier, put it on Javier. And it, it almost invariably they failed because Javier is very flexible. Um, but he's also very astute. And so when people, I mean, so he was like the test. If you could literally tap him out. Now, this isn't live rolling. This is just, you know, demonstrating. Um, if you could get Javier to say, yeah, okay, uh, that was wonderful. Now, times may be different because your body's all beat up now, but <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're a remarkable. Uh, and um, that was quite a, We've had some interesting encounters through the years, man. Too bad Brian Denis wasn't on tonight, too, because he he's been part of some pretty uh, interesting things that nobody in the world knows that we've been through. But great to it's see funny. you, man. That's for sure. It's funny because I was actually recently on a podcast, and the guys, you know, really wanted to get into like my my personal training history and background and whatnot. And Brian is one of the, you know, is a very key selling point. Um, in my catch wrestling journey, because uh, if I had, you know, if I hadn't showed up at the gym and Brian wasn't there to just murder me and, and convince me, I'm like, oh, this is the place to be, you know, who knows? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you would have done it, but in my mind, it would have been so easy to be like, well, of course he can beat the shit out of me. Yeah. He's, he's the coach and he's a huge dude. Brian was definitely bigger than me, but like, you know, at that point in my career, I didn't really know that much grappling and I had gotten by on a little bit of stuff that I knew and just being kind of like a tough squirmy scrappy dude with a little bit of wrestling knowledge and back then that was you know the overall level of grappling in the general Chicagoland area was pretty low um so that was more than enough and I'd been to schools where I was like eh, I'm not impressed you know like like I don't want to be here you know th- these guys don't seem very good or sometimes they they actually were pretty darn good, but it wasn't the vibe what I, that I was looking for. Um, but then I, I just remember the first time I showed up to the tool and die shop, you, you had me roll with Brian, like right away. And Brian tapped me out with like a heel hook. And I can't, I, I honestly cannot remember. Um, in my mind, it was either 15 seconds or 50 seconds. I don't remember what you said, but it was something like that. And I was just like, whatever it was, it was under a minute. And I was like, okay, this is the place to be. You know, no, nobody that I had rolled with at that point had so utterly and quickly dominated me. Um, you know, I, I, I had been, I rolled with guys that were bigger and more skilled than me uh, and whatnot that, you know, could beat me eventually. But yeah, he just shut down everything I wanted to do. I thought I knew a little bit about leg locks, not very much, but a little bit. Um, and, and the ease with which he, he leg locked me was just like, okay, yeah, I, I want to be here. Yeah, and what was nice about Brian, he was relatively new, too, because he just started training with me. He never did this before, and then he moved to Chicago mm-hmm. to train. And you came around not all that long afterwards, which really is a good thing because it showed you, or at least I would hope it would have showed you, that you can make progression uh, quickly uh, when you put your mind to it. And we had, a, again, we didn't have a classroom set up. You know, that was individual no, pretty not. much. Uh, but there was like three, four guys but Brian is uh, like Eric Paulson's to this day still talks about Brian and you know how impressed right. he was with him and whatnot. But um, 
But, you know, you're right, though, about if I would have gotten on the mat, because, you know, I've gone through that through the years. Oh, Tony's just a big guy. He stretches you. He hurts you. Hey, man, look, so what do you want? Who, who do you want? A guy that's only had two weeks of training and you blow through him? So, yeah, if Javi or uh, if Brian wasn't there, I would have had to done it. You know, I would have had, you had to do it with me. Um, right. So I'm glad that Brian was there. Brian snuffed a few guys through the years like that. They came in and, you know, they had all this pedigree. And, you know, and that's just, I mean, but you were the same way. You snuffed guys too that had a list of accomplishments and achievements. Um, it, it It's definitely weird seeing the arts change over time. Like the, the things that guys definitely used to say back in that era that have proven to be untrue. Um, you know, the, the, the way styles have changed over time as they absorb more stuff from outside influences and experiment with things that they were unwilling to do back then. Because I was definitely like, locally like one of the Chicago guys where guys didn't want to roll with me eventually because I, I did mostly leg locks and a lot of neck cranks that guys weren't comfortable with. And now like, I don't want to say every gym that I go to, cause that's definitely not true, but there's quite a few gyms in the area where, you know, you, you go with the right guys and, um, or just the overall vibe of the gym. And that's totally okay. Like guys come even before I got there, guys come to Dennis's school in Hanover park. And like, they're going to, they're going to go against guys that are pretty good leg lockers that are just, you know, white and blue belts, you know, relative beginners. Um, but you go to other gyms and, and it's still very traditional. You know, we don't teach that stuff until brown belt, whatever it may be. Yeah. Well, you know, I was on that note, um, one of the negatives, and this is because people who are in positions of power to media or whatever, they always used to say shit about like, oh, catch wrestling, funky, crazy, off the wall submissions. And, you know, the sad part about that is that kind of took root and it's so not true, not, at least not what I teach. And you know that. However, right. so many others that call themselves catch wrestlers, that's what they do. These like off the wall submissions that rarely work. Um, and I was just discussing this with somebody today. And it, it's it's not about the submissions will never fail. The submissions are there. It's just the controlling aspect. I, and, and, and Paulson hit on this that I taught you guys or we you guys learn wrestling okay not just submissions okay mm. wrestling 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 how to wrestle from move to move and pin and ride hard and move the right way um and that's why your submissions were always success you all you guys were successful it, it it wasn't just the submission it was the the controlling aspect of it and how to move and chain it the right way that the that chain the chain wrestling in particular, I think is one of the most important things, like not, not to, not to belittle anything that we did because the conditioning was important, both on yeah. a physical level and even more so in some ways on a mental level. Um, and obviously the, the, the rigorous training in, in just wrestling technique was vital, but um, the mentality of understanding the difference between like when you should continue to pursue something versus when you should chain into something else, how to, how to, you know, in, in, it's so common in most martial arts to have like an idea of understanding, like the push pull uh, sort of using your opponent's power and strength against them, redirecting all, all that kind of stuff. Like that's the, using those terms. I could be talking about Aikido or Judo or Tai Chi or Kung Fu or karate. Like they all use those terms, but I, I felt like a lot of the chain wrestling that we did really, really brought that to the forefront where 
where it was like, okay, I'm encountering too much resistance here. Can I do something to either reduce the resistance through superior leverage positioning or a rip, or can I transition to something else because he's given me the energy that would feed into some easier path over here? Yeah, and that's a, and the thing about that, um, well, we chain differently too, but getting on to just the, the word chain, it's a very personal um, experience, meaning everyone brings their own personality into that, uh, their own style. So let's say you and I were wrestling the same person, exact same way, you may decide to go to a chain, move, move around, at a different point in time than I would, because there's so many variables. You know, I'm almost like, let's say, a foot taller and 100 pounds heavier, so I'm going to get a different reaction out of the guy than you would. Uh, And this is something that has to be, I don't know if it can be taught in a direct sense. It You have to have exposure to it, and then you have to kind of absorb it by watching and say, okay, I can see how that will, how that, will will apply to me and in my personality. Uh, so here, good classic example, you brought up leg locks. And that's really what you're great at. I mean, I'm not saying, let me strike that. It doesn't mean like you suck at everything else. You're it's always, when I think of you, I think of leg locks. You're built for that. You're great at that. You have a desire for that. And that's awesome. Whereas somebody else, because of their build or because of just their thought process, you know, you mentioned guys with the brown belt. You know, they don't learn, let's say, leg locks until the brown belt. Um, so they may know leg locks, but they'll never be like, more than likely, in general, won't be like, okay, this is their move. Um, because they it, they spent years not doing it. You came into that gym right away when I met you 20 years ago with the leg lock mentality, which was great. I liked it because, you know, I was a leg lock. I love leg locks. So you and I clicked on that. Um, And that's why Brian was able to do the leg lock on you because I love leg locks and I showed Brian the leg locks almost from the get go. So my point is rambling, but, but just, I was going to say like a a perfect example is, you know, Martin and I were training partners for years and we had completely different styles because you had catered the training around body type. um, And to a certain degree, I would say also our personalities, Mm -hmm. um, Martin, Martin had, uh, you know, longer limbs. So he was good at head scissors, body scissors, triangles, things of that nature. Um, uh, he, he would definitely, he, he was very, he got very good at defending a lot of my leg locks because we were sparring constantly together, you know, um, but, um, he was less prone at least in those days, you know, I, I, I don't know how things might've changed, but, uh, he was definitely prone to, to avoid, and and shut down my leg locks not not necessarily like try to counter leg lock me back and try to get to his better situations where where he knew he could be stronger better so um yeah a lot of that was you know like it was body type dependent um like i said uh, personality i i tended to be you know uh pretty aggressive and and uh, a fast scrambler uh martin oh, yeah. was a a little bit more methodical so yeah it's just well, different you games know, we, we can have him back on or I, I train him every week on zoom so i can but i remember him so i'll clarify what i'm about to say if i'm wrong i'll come back next week and but i remember brian uh martin telling me uh more than once he yeah he had a complete different uh expectation than you you wanted to be a snuffer i mean that's just what you 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 wanted to be able to slaughter everybody 
Martin's thing was truly, hey, I just don't want to get hurt. I don't want, I want to be able to defend myself. I want to be able to stop stuff. So you're right. He was methodical. He was more defensive oriented. Um, and I think now his, his whole mentality has changed. Uh, but back then, yeah. So with Martin, it was more how to shut these submissions down. Some of my proudest moments uh, in, in my career, I guess you could say, was when we had heavyweight, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but, you know, heavyweight professional fighters that have, you know, one in particular that fought all over the world uh, could not submit Martin, all right? And they rolled for a long time and never tapped him out, never tapped Martin out. Of course, this guy was never threatened because Martin wasn't, you know, going after it. So this guy pretty much had his way, um, and he couldn't he couldn't get Martin. And I don't know if you were there for that, but that was at Triton. Okay, um, we can discuss this afterwards. But yeah, it was. Uh, I was very proud of Martin, and I think that was the lightning, the light light bulb with Martin, where he probably finally felt, at least in the grappling world, grappling realm. He reached where he wanted to go. He he got to where he wanted to be. Okay, where right. big dudes, strong, tough, know-it-all guys couldn't get him. So um, that that was a good moment for me because you know you guys too were all like part timers because you all had jobs and family. Well, Martin didn't have a family, but yeah. you had families and you had terrible injuries. You know that trampoline accident set you back, and you know um, things like that. Uh, you know, and, and and we all had personal drama or I had issues, everybody, you know, so you you guys did the most with what we had. And I'm really proud of that. Uh, to this great. day, people, people that, you know, everyone that rolls with me, you know, most of the time these days uh, I'm in jujitsu academies where we don't have shoes on. So they see the scar on my ankle and everyone just assumes that like, oh, he's the leg lock guy. He must've gotten hurt with a leg lock. And then I tell them, I'm like, no, no, that scars from, from surgery from a trampoline accident yeah, right. <laughs> it's just like it's like the most ridiculous thing well you really shouldn't wrestle on a trampoline that's a mistake <laughs> listen you have your fun the way you want and i'll have fun, my fun the way i want. <laughs> well Javier, people don't again it's a little background on javier he used to he was a gymnast in gymnast gymnastics as well so he, he's you know always you know so that that's another one of his things um but you know Everybody has their own take on things as well. You know, the, the, the way, like, for example, you guys were never, neither one of you guys were ever lifters like I was, you know, I, I just wanted, and a part of that, you know, that Rod Von, of course, is the reason I wanted, he was, a, I always want, admired strength because I was such a tiny, skinny kid, but tapping into him, one of the strongest, I mean, he did things that I've never seen anybody do. Okay. He was so freaking strong. And so I'm like, wow, I, I'm a, I got the pinnacle of strength here and it just like festered in me to, um, to get strong. Now I didn't have access to weights. I never got big, but I got about as strong as I could with, with what I had. Right. Um, but yeah, so, so everybody's different. Like you got right. the extreme flexibility. You spent more time doing that, those exercises than I did. I was more into doing specific exercises of flexibility for wrestling abilities, but that's the thing you 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 can't squash somebody's what they bring to the table unless what they're bringing to the table is harmful to them you know so right. all of you guys were just there's no carbon copies i mean each one of you i can think of brian was different than you 
you were different than Martin. You know, Martin was different than Dave and all these other, everybody was, you know, just uh, the list goes on. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like uh, I've got a, I've got a couple of students that, you know, are, are pretty, pretty serious about this stuff. And between the guys I'm thinking of right now, there's like two of them that I always know that one of the guys, because he's like a heavyweight version of me, he's like very flexible. He's quite athletic. He's already got a good existing wrestling background. So I just kind of know that I'm like, I can take this technique that I like to do mm-hmm. and I can just show it to him and it'll probably fit right in his game. But as, as, as a bigger guy, there's, I don't want to say there's a limit to it, but he's unlikely to do certain other things. Um, a, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that I do that's a little bit more athletic and acrobatic. I know he's probably not going to try for it. it you know, the, the risk reward ratio is a little, a little bit different, uh, but then I have this one, uh, this one kid who's lighter. Um, he's already quite athletic and he just loves doing like, like he loves doing like head springs and cartwheels and things like that. And he finds ways to integrate that in. So I, I know like basically between those two on average, most of the stuff that I like to do one, the other, or both of them, I can just slot it in and I'd be like, I'll show it to them once and be like, okay, I see how that works and, and they'll get it right away. But they're really exceptional in that way with the vast majority of my students. I have to do exactly what you did where it's like, okay, this guy's, you know, this guy's going to be a slow grindy sort of fighter. This guy's really explosive. We have to take advantage of that. This guy over here, you know, overthinks everything. Let's get him out of his head. You know, this guy's this guy's shaped totally different from me. So yeah. he's going to have a, a different set of, uh, of preferences and attributes than I can bring to the table. And uh, yeah, that's been, like I said, I've been doing, a, you know, I've been coaching for a while now, but like this is, you know, full-time coaching is, is a different experience in a lot of ways. And I don't think people, I don't think people realize just uh, how much effort should be put into it if you're going to do it right, obviously. Well, yeah, I agree with that. You know, in my case with you guys, uh, you and I had vast physical differences. You and I clicked or so you click with me and I mentally like uh, uh, how to how to move the science behind it. Uh, Brian wrestled in certain ways a lot like me and Costa wrestled in the other ways that Brian didn't wrestle. Costa kind of wrestled like me. So the three of you, if if we could blend them all to make one person, would probably be the way the at least came close to the to the way I wrestled. Um, and you know, uh, the the negative, the sad thing when with Costa when I was working with him, he had that bad back. You know, Costa's training was so inconsistent because of his his back injury. Right. But boy, when he felt good, he was really. He was don't he'll double wrist lock you, you know he he was just a stud and of course you know Brian and uh, you know um, and then you 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 had you had you brought again I think you you saw the picture uh, I think you you got into my psyche more I think you knew me let's put it this way you knew me better than anybody did okay and not just per I don't mean even personally I mean you kind of knew how I moved or what I was was going to do next when when you saw me do stuff you kind of already knew where i was going so um that's spooky okay uh but that's good right. uh i mean I, honestly you know like, like a lot of people talk about my flexibility and whatnot but in the grand scheme of things 
um, you know, as a smaller athlete, I wasn't actually that fast, you know, like a lot of guys were far more explosive than me, uh, at, at my weight class. Um, and while I, you know, I mean, sure. When I came to you, I, I, I was not in good shape, uh, but eventually through the training, you know, I, I got in better and better shape and, and started getting some real cardio and developing some strength, but like, I've never been weak per se, but I definitely went through periods of time where it's like, oh, there, there, there's a vast differences in strength. But at the end of the day, even at the peak of my strength training, I also wasn't that strong of a person because, you know, I'm 5'3", 138 pounds walking around, you know, like there's, there's practical limits to how strong I am when I'm wrestling against guys that are, you know, 220 plus. Um, so like the, the big thing for me, was like, I'm, well, I'm not strong, strong. I'm just not weak. And I'm not fast, fast. I'm just faster than a lot of people because, you know, they're slow. Um, so like my main thing, survival above and beyond, you know, yes, I was, like I said, scrappy and flexible, but I just had to like try and intellectualize it more and figure out, you know, how to, how to approach things in smarter ways. Uh, I couldn't afford to be you know, reliant on speed. Cause I wasn't fast, you know, not, not again in my weight class, I was definitely faster than a lot of guys that were bigger than me and slow, but, um, and I wasn't strong compared to most of the guys, even guys in my weight class. So yeah, that was it, at the end of the day, a lot of it really did come down to just, just being smart and, you know, being pretty persistent too. And being <laughs> not just persistent, but what's the word, uh, perception, uh, a lot of guys couldn't submit you because I watched intently because you instinctively got the you knew the science of how to counter these things quickly. Um, I think a lot of people wait too long. Uh, they get caught, and now you're behind the you're like the point of no return. Okay, it's too late now. The counters aren't going to work. You know, you were a little slow on the uptake, um, and you were always quick on the uptake. Uh, you're difficult to tap for a lot of people. Uh, and that's a good, again, these are all positives. This is what other people should strive for. And I'm glad you brought up your, what you just said about your size and your, or I mean, uh, your strength and your speed, because another rap that we get uh, is that, oh, we're super athletes. You know, everybody's super athletic. And that's, again, that's just not the case. Yeah. Martin worked up his conditioning. He was phenomenal, but uh yeah, he wasn't. Well, I, I, I got to interject there because um, while we are not super athletes in like none, none of the guys that were at the gym were going to like turn out to be like NFL prospects or anything like yeah. that. You know, like when we're talking about like real skilled, high level athletes, we're talking about like a different level of human beings. But because of the way the training was, both the intensity and the inclusion of a lot of strength and conditioning and, and, and supplemental cardio, there were definitely times where our guys training part-time were conditioned better, had better strength in certain end ranges of motion, you know, were just yeah, overall, it was a more, I think that this is changing with time, but it is not uncommon. It's probably going to sound like I'm, I'm shit-talking jujitsu in particular uh but i will say this about it's not uncommon for many martial arts clubs regardless of style to sort of cater to the lowest common denominator in some way because at the end of the day if you've got you know let, let's say you got 100 students just for a, a, an easy large but round number okay 
you're probably not going to convince a hundred students that are showing up for martial arts that they also need to do strength and conditioning. They need to do road work. They need to jump yeah. rope. You know, you might convince a portion of them. And if you build the correct gym environment, you might even convince a fairly large number of them, but there's plenty of guys that are going to show up and they're like, I just want to do jujitsu. I just got off work. I don't want to lift weights. I don't want to run the treadmill. I don't want to do all this stuff. And it's like, okay, with certain select athletes, you can push them. And we were simply never given a chance to say no. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it, it wasn't like I could be like, Tony, listen, I'm, I'm the paying customer here and I don't want to come to you for strength training and cardio training and conditioning. I just want to learn takedowns and, yeah. and submissions. But when, once you're, once you're running, you know, a, a conventional gym, you kind of have to cater to that to a degree. And you can certainly offer those services and a lot of good gyms do, you know, they, they have guys that are experts in strength and conditioning or, or, uh, or whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I find that it's not, it's oftentimes not the norm for many schools. And again, this is regardless of martial arts style. We could be talking about Kung Fu or, or we could be talking about karate or we could be talking about, you know, jujitsu and, and, and judo. Um, it, it's very common for many schools to not offer that as a direct thing and be like, ah, oh, you know, if you want to do that, you know, go get a fitness membership or go, yeah. you know, so they're, they're not necessarily conditioning the body to perform in the best way. So like, if you've got a, if you go to a school and you've got a guy who's like a seriously well-conditioned athlete, because it's just part of the program, which it absolutely was for us, that yeah. guy probably seems like a super athlete to a guy who's like, well, I just got off my job and I don't do any supplemental cardio. And, you know, I get winded after two rounds. So yeah. It, well, it's, you nailed it, but I, I think I may have misspoke with it. Like people saw me do the lost art of hooking. I was big, I was strong. And that's well, kind yeah. of the impression he got, you know, that we and, used and to you, fight that. on. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you were absolutely the face of it. And there were also yeah. plenty of other, other guys that, you know, were calling themselves catch wrestlers appropriately or not that sort of fit that bill. Like, like I was definitely the oddity in, in that there weren't that many guys that were advocates of the style that were around my size at the time. And they're, 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 you know, if we look at like, if we look at the era, like most of the guys were bigger dudes. So it's easy to get that impression that, you know, like it's a big guy art when yeah. one of the guys showing it is, is this big muscle muscular dude. Well, that's unfortunate because it's, you know, and it's not the case. And, uh, you know, once again, I told somebody a few months ago, it actually was a woman who, you know, was having problems. Oh, I'm too small. I'm like, look it. And I had to watch how I said this because, but I said, you know, you're bigger than I was when I learned this shit. Okay. I was like 110 pounds. Right. right? You, were, you were also like, you, you're still technically a child. You were like 13. Yeah. And I was five, six. Technically I was, when I started, I was five, probably five, five, but a giant nine, nine, nine months later, when I charted it, I was five, six, one seventeen. So I wasn't even that big when I was smaller than that, when I started. So for the first whole year, um, at, at, the, at the end of my first year of training, I was five, six, and 117 pounds. So I put one whole year of brutality, yeah, as a, as a child and as a small child, not a big child. Um, and, you know, when I graduated high school, I was 178, okay? When, my, when I was done with my training, I weighed 178 pounds, okay? 
So I'm Martin size. Uh, I wasn't always like this, you know. Um, but the beauty of it was, I, for me now personally, because I was a sprinter, I had that fast twitch stuff. And so I always wrestled as as a, as a fast middleweight or whatever you however you want to label it. Like, a, and even when I got bigger, I still wrestled fast. I never changed. So I, I was kind of lucky. Um, whereas some kids are grown, they're like heavyweights in high school. So they wrestle as a heavyweight the rest of their life. Um, I, I, I was lucky that I didn't. And so I could relate to you guys, even though I was a hundred pounds heavier. You remembered I, what it was I, like. I wasn't. Yeah. Right. I knew exactly what it was like. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's a weird observation that I've made, um, you know, coming up through various sports, but it, now, now, sometimes it's just because dudes start young, I think, you know, like quite young sometimes. But it's like if I see a guy who's a heavyweight who started kind of later in life when he was already at his pretty much full size or near to it, they almost always move differently than a guy who was like a kid grew up training with like bigger dudes and knows what it's like to be the small guy and have to rely on, on speed and guile. <laughs> and, and like, it's been like, I know some guys that are like 240 plus that are very tall, very powerfully built guys, but I knew them when they were 140, 150 pound kids, my size. And we used to go back and forth, but I had like man strength and years of experience. And now it's like, they're a hundred pounds of muscle. They still move incredibly fast. They're still, mm -hmm. you know, very graceful relative to the heavyweight ideal, you know, that the people have in their mind of like, you know, slow and methodical. And uh, yeah, those guys are terrifying. But again, it's because they, they weren't always that size. They learned to move during their primary learning phase when they were much smaller. Um, and I think that, that, that really helps them retain that edge a lot of times. There's quite a That's few guys good. that, that, yeah that I've seen that, uh, that are like that. Yeah. I, I got to agree because, because I know that was the case with me and I, yeah, I've seen others too, that, um, as long as they maintain their interest in working out. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, Joe, you got input. Oh man. It's a funny thing with you two guys going. It's like, I have all these things I want to ask and then we move on. No, it's because I don't want to interrupt you either. Cause you guys have such great stuff on the, well, on the most current point, and I think I've kind of tried to ask this question before to you, Tony, but the idea of kind of riffing on what you guys are saying, like, do you think in some ways your scenario with Rod Von was almost kind of ideal for anybody as a, obviously not everybody can start as a kid. So, I mean, some of it's fate and things like that, but just in a, like an, like I said, an idealized circumstance. I mean, you had no, I mean, you had speed and things like that, but here you had literally one of the strongest men in the world and you were a small child, you yeah. know, or just like a, a, not small child, but like, you know, a small adolescent or teenager. So you could not beat him on any, so day one for wrestling for you is being crushed and destroyed. And you're going up against like, to me would be running into a brick wall kind of a thing. If that's where you're starting at, like for the rest of your grappling career, no one's ever going to have that kind of strength advantage over you. You know, even if you come up against like, cause I think Brian Kloss was a world-class power lifter, but sure it must've still not felt as overwhelming as it must've felt as a kid having 
the brute that was, you know, Stanley Rodvon putting, like, once you survive that, everything else has got to seem relative, like you're prepared for anything at that point. Yeah, you it's know? a walk in the park, yeah. And so, I mean, like, to me, it's almost like if you can start young enough before you have the physical attributes and work against guys, you're, well, I have most kids, you know, like, and for, I don't know how it works for most wrestling teams. They probably pair up kids about the same size. I don't know how often they spend with people who are just ridiculously bigger than them. But is that, you know, that, that seems to maybe that that sets you up for kind of like insane success because once, but I, I still am trying to imagine how like you as a kid were able to put a top wrist lock on this guy, you know, with his strength, like that to me boggles the mind that at that point, if you're able to pull that off, no one's going to be able to stop. No one else on the, you know, is going to be able to stop your top wrist lock. If you can pull it off on a guy who has that much strength advantage on you. And well, so the I, other I, thing that, go that you got to, at least with me is it, it was a mind it was mind blowing to me to to know that here's a guy that's damn near 60 years older than me that can beat the living shit out of me you know at will you know i mean you think of old time oh he's old he's old man they're no good I mean, they're old here's a guy that was like 55 years older than me um and i i couldn't do anything to the guy okay watching any Karate movies or Kung Fu movies isn't going to help. My boxing, you know, wasn't going to deal with it, you know, at that point in time. So, yeah, that was humbling. Um, as far as what you just said about tapping them out with a top wrist lock or something, that is all catch. That That's because the way we do it, my school, what I taught Javier and guys like you, with the twists and the perfect um, uh, technique where you're, that's the only way that it could have been done. I don't know. There's no other person that would have been able to do that because um, I know how the other guys do their submissions. It 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 wouldn't. It don't. It don't, it's not going to work. Okay. And Javier is a classic example too. When people put the the submission holds on, let's call it the traditional way. Javier ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time gets out of them. Putting on our way, he doesn't. None of us do. Um, and Javier can put me me in it, and I'm not getting out. That that is the science that I learned about Rodvan from Rodvan um, on. This is the way it has to be. You got to get the twists. You got to get the elbows in, or wh- whatever you know the scenario is. Use your body weight and shit. Um, but remember something. This is uh, again. I had an advantage that nobody that ever lived had the same advantage. Rodvan, being an actual professional strongman, okay, knew. Everything there was to know about leverage, okay? Bending those bars and bending coins is more than just strength. It's knowing horseshoes and all the shit he did. It's about leverage. And he taught me the science and the secrets of leverage, okay? Um, There's other strong men, obviously, that know how to leverage, but they don't know how to fight like this. So I was very, I mean, it's just luck. Pure freaking, pure freaking luck. Um, Yeah. I don't fear anybody after go- like I told you many times. He said, "You're the worst beatings you're ever going to get are going to be here in the gym or in wasn't a gym, but in his house." You know, yeah. I mean, and there's some great guys that I've met through the years, like Brian Klaus, one of the nicest human beings, knowledgeable. You're right, world class power lifter and shit. Um, I just wish all of you guys had the opportunity to uh, felt Radvan. There was something coming off of him like an aura there was a freak freaky 
I mean, some of the stuff they say is exaggerated, but not a lot of it, right? He did shit that I don't even want to say because people will say You're, it's ridiculous. No, he, he could do things that would, uh, yeah, I'm, it was rough. It was a hard training, man. It, it was rough. I, I'm, I'm glad I came out of it in one piece. <laughs> and I but, wanted to make another comment, just an observation. I'm still surprised that when people watch your videos and they say, well, you're strong, that's why you're pulling it off. It, it still kind of shocks me because I feel like then they must just not be listening because literally you, to your point, you're explaining the leverage and the anatomy behind what you're doing. It's not like you're just muscling through and showing people tapping out. You're very carefully explaining. And it, and it's not even, like I said, it's, it's, it's based on some basic, you know, understanding of mechanics and stuff. I'm reaching at the end point of the lever here. I'm using a very small point here to, to increase the pressure, the, the pounds per square inch. So it's, you, you lay it all out. So if they're listening, they understand maybe they can't do it at your level, but they, they should be picking up tips on how to improve it for themselves. Like I said, so that it's, it's just almost like maybe they're not paying careful enough attention to the instruction to see those to videos. Be, that, yeah. That's my impression. Cause I'm just shocked uh, when I hear that, that it's, you know, or it's maybe it's just people who just want to dismiss it. Like they don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't know what's, but it's, it's just surprising because it, you know, I think a lot of people following the show is they they first come into contact from from the videos and the instruction there, and 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 I think it reaches a lot of people and they get the quality and the details that you're giving. So it's it's surprising that um, they might just be people trying to dismiss it. But I don't I don't I, I don't really think it's uh, it's probably not deliberate most of the time. I mean, some people it's obviously deliberate. You know, they they, they it, whether they have a. a deliberate agenda or whether they just have a, a built-up bias. Um, but I think uh, most people in that situation are going to make excuses like that. Um, and I, I, I don't know that it's necessarily – like Tony's a good example, um, but he's also – it's a very special case because he's one of the few guys showing this stuff. So there's no – there's no counter example. Um, it, let, let's just say this. Like, if I was the one who filmed The Lost Art of Hooking, we would be getting very, very different criticisms, even if the content was identical. Okay. Um, people would not be like, oh, well, it's just because he's so strong because I'm, I'm a little person. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean there would be no criticisms. People would still be like, oh, well, this doesn't work for this reason or that reason. Um, I think people are a little bit more prone and this is just like a, a very natural bias that people have to get past. They're a little bit more prone to say things like, Oh, he's only able to do that because he's big and strong um, because that's a very easy thing to just over-focus on. Um, whereas people are a little less likely to say that kind of stuff um, about less material aspects. Like, like, you're, it, it, if somebody's only able to do something because they're incredibly fast or they have insane reflexes and good hand-eye coordination, people are a little less prone to, to deduce that immediately. They'll give it a try and be like, I don't have the coordination to do that after actually trying it or, or, or trying a lot of times and failing. Um, but yeah, like strength is just such an easy thing to visibly see. Size is an easy thing to just eyeball and, uh, and, and get over you know, over-concerned about. 
But I think you're right. I think bias plays into it a little bit. Like if you're not receptive to learning, which is hard, I think we all have biases and we come from backgrounds and something has worked for me before. And if someone says, well, hey, have you tried this different approach? It's not easy to do that. You know, it's not easy to switch something that you've been, you know, you've invested in, uh, you know, time, money, and, 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 and a lot of your emotional. So there might be resistance to even hearing the details so that you just glom on to whatever. And you're right. It's, it's Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the mentality you're coming into it with. Um, but I'll, I'll give an example from my own personal experience. Um, and it, don't get me wrong. It's not that I didn't believe my coaches, um, but the majority of my coaches in judo, wrestling, jujitsu, doesn't really matter. Most of them are significantly larger than me. It, it took quite a few years before I started working with any kind of coaches who were around my size. Even then, they're mostly bigger than me. But, but you know, like the difference between working with a guy who's say 220 versus the working with a guy who's like 150 pounds when you're my size is pretty dramatic. Um, so yeah, like if Tony told me like, okay, you pin him in this way and you're just going to crush his soul. Like it would be very easy for me to go, well, of course you can do that. You outweigh that person, you know? So yes, I know there's a technique for it, but obviously the technique is so much more magnified because you're also bigger. And then I would try and do it. And if I didn't get the technique right, it would be very easy for me to go, well, it's not working as well for me because I'm small. But then you see somebody who's, you know, my size or closer to my size do kind of the same thing. You're like, oh, okay, well, it's not just because I was small. It was obviously because I didn't put enough work into it. I sucked at it. I missed an important detail. And so you can you can have that kind of experience, Um, you know, like, like. I'll use this as an example because I think it's a, it's a pretty easy one. If you, if your only impression of like the crushing pe- pressure of a good pin comes from somebody who is significantly larger than you, I think you'll overly attribute why it sucks so much to be down there on their size. But then if you experience somebody who's your size or heaven forbid smaller that has good pinning technique and is just crushing the life out of you. You can't draw a breath, you know, suddenly you're like, Oh, it wasn't the size. It was definitely, it was definitely the technique. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. That's a very it does good. because I had a guy once at a seminar. Oh, your, your shit don't work. The dude wasn't even in the ballpark of doing the hold. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> he just wasn't even close. He copped an attitude, you know, cocky. It was, I, I didn't get mad at the guy. I actually felt bad. You know, he's running his mouth, but you weren't even close to doing it right. Um, but getting back to what Joe was saying, another problem for me is people want to get entertained. They want to watch something that's entertaining. All these flying arm bars and fancy moves, that's that's <laughs> awesome to watch and shit. I'm more like a, the, the old physics professor, right? Where I'm I'm teaching you the science of all of this, nut and bolt, right down to the, you know, nitty gritty. Some people, you're right, Joe, may not have the attention span, may not want to be in it. Maybe you're just watching and not really listening. Uh, and yeah, so it gets lost. But see, that's kind of how I learned from Rod Von, although Rod Von did not have a great command of English. And I, I'm i more detail-oriented, meaning like he didn't have the patience to really like, I, I, I'm more detail-oriented. I'll, I'll explain, explain stuff when I, when I'm interested, you know, if I, if, if I'm not really turned on by you, I'll just say, okay, you know, uh, but yeah, I, 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 and I think what, what cemented that 
for me as a coach or as a teacher was my music, which came after my martial, uh, uh, my fighting training was my music. And that gave me the structure. Okay. Of, and the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the cohesiveness of, okay, this is how it's got to be. You know, it's all math. Uh, and I do uh, agree completely with, with, with what Javier said about size and, uh, you know, e- either a big guy could do something or a small guy could be so quick and, and, and you, uh, you automatically relate that, well, that's because he's big or that's because he was small. Javier can get on the legs because he's right there. He's smaller. No, I mean, Javier would have gotten on the legs if he was six foot tall because he had the discipline and the desire to do it, you know, uh, to learn how these techniques work. Um, yeah, but now if he's benching 500 and he weighs 400, that's not that impressive. But if, if he's benching 500 and he's 175 pounds, yeah, well, okay, now that's, that, that's, that's, that's a whole different thing. But you mentioned attributes. And I think Roy Jones Jr. is one of the greatest cases of a guy who was one of my favorite boxers, but I knew back then he wasn't a boxer boxer. Okay. He didn't do the fundamentals. You know, he didn't, he had such tremendous reflexes and this and that. And once those went, once those started to go, people were teeing off on him and shit. um, Because he could no longer just rely on his unbelievable reflexes. I I don't know if I've ever seen it. Floyd Mayweather's close, but man, God, but, you know, boy, these guys, you know, um, so I never had that kind of a, a, a thing. You know, I, I, I may have been fast, but I never had that, that guy, that super athlete to me, what he was able, with his reflexes. I had to make sure that I was always in the right place at the right time to, to save my ass. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I do honestly believe that the fundamentals are lacking from my world. Now, your world, Javier, may be different because, I know you'll you'll teach the fundamentals, but I, I see so many guys just doing simple things, footwork, you know, angles, and and that's not funny. That's not fun stuff to learn. It's kind of monotonous and boring. And like, what's the point? Like music, doing your scales. What's the point? I want to play songs, man. If you do your scales, you'll play those songs so much better when it's time to play the songs. Same with fighting. If you do your fundamentals, so much better. Once, once you're fighting because you got those fundamentals and the guy can't tee off on you. Um, you know, uh, that's just my belief. That's my take. But, but I came again in an era where it was kids are seen and not heard. You don't ask questions. You just, you know, you just get take, you know, you listen and you do whatever they tell you to do. Um, and I think other martial arts schools in my day were like that probably, but they were not, they were teaching this bullshit, you know, the stuff I'm not talking world-class martial artists here. I'm just talking, you know, Johnny come lately martial arts schools. They were cropping up everywhere in the seventies. Um, I heard around the country, you know, but what are you learning? You know, uh, but I, I think anybody who's going to train under you is, is going to learn as far as the grappling stuff goes, uh, as good as it gets, you know, you're going to, you're going to learn as good as it gets technique. So it's a blessing to, to have you around, you know. Thanks. I mean, I think uh, I think it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I've taught at this point hundreds, if not thousands of people from various degrees of experience and backgrounds. And I talk to them a lot of times, you know, once I e- either either as the initial introduction 
to them where it's just like, hey, how's it going? How'd you hear about us type stuff at whatever gym I might be working at at a time? Um, or, uh, you know, in longer discussions as I get to know them. And, you know, every, everyone comes into this for different reasons. Um, and it's a pretty rare day where somebody's like, well, you know, I came into your gym because you posted this video on Instagram of this amazingly flashy technique. And I was just like, I have to train there. Like, in fact, I can think of one time where something like that was said to me. And it wasn't even that we had posted a flashy technique per se. And that was what convinced them. They, they were just like, oh, I'm looking for this thing. And in my search, I found this and this stuck out in my memory. So like they were already looking for martial arts and it was just like that flashy thing, you know, was what kind of, you know, that, that's what drew them in finally. But for the most part, like most people that do this stuff, they're not coming in as very good athletes. They probably fall into the category where they, they want to do it for self-defense reasons or they want to do it to get into shape. Okay. Occasionally you're going to come across somebody who's really just doing it for like the love of martial arts and the journey. And then the rare individual is like, I want to be a world champion or something along those lines. You know, um, even in gyms with sports that are pretty competitive, the overwhelming majority of people aren't competitors. You know, I, I can, I can go down the street to, to the local kickboxing gym and they've got tons of students that have never fought and will never fight because they're not in it for that. They, they want to get their cardio. They want to learn a martial arts so they can defend themselves. So like, I totally understand the mentality that a lot of people have where they're like, we have to draw them in with this cool flashy stuff. And that stuff gets a lot of likes on social media and draws a lot of attention. But I haven't honestly seen that many cases in all my years of doing this where people were like, I want to do that crazy thing that that little acrobat ninja did because most people don't fit that description. Yeah. Um, but again, it, it does get attention. And sometimes you got you to gotta trick people into doing the hard work with the promise of something cool. Uh, I tell my students all the time, uh, if I, and it's weird because in fact, I, I got a question for you to see if you remember something. Uh, I was talking about it on a, on, uh, to one of my guys and I was like, man, I, I think I messed up the details, but the essence of the story was correct. So it's okay. But uh -huh. again, like the way you ran things, like we didn't know on any given day what we were going to be learning that was decided by you. We didn't know how much strength and conditioning was going to be required to do it you know we might we might go a week where all we did was you know body weight exercises and cardio followed by you know like sprawls and shots followed by you know maybe some live rounds at the end depending on who's there at the end of class you know it, there, there were definitely times when we worked on stuff that wasn't submissions at all um, and then there would be times where we'd hyper-focus on the submission stuff because you felt that we had the other aspects down pat. But in a general sense, you know, when I've got a class of 20 plus guys that are arguably there to learn how to, how to do submissions from me, you know, that, that, that's the, that's the cherry on top that they really want. I've got to trick them because I can't go up to your average dude who, you know, works a day job and does this stuff for fun and be like, 
before you can learn this leg lock or arm lock or choke or whatever, um, I'm going to need you to do 5,000 squats because I need that level of conditioning from you so you can actually do this for real. They'd walk out, you know, they'd be like, no, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Um, but I can absolutely trick them into doing that over time. And I can trick them into doing fundamentals, lots and lots of reps of fundamentals by showing the fundamental and then building it up to the next step and then building it up to the next step and the next step. So maybe I do like a series that works up over, over a sequence of an hour and a half uh, or so where they build up to something that's, I don't know, six moves deep, let's say. But the first part is the most important part. And they end up doing lots and lots and lots of reps. But if I told them to just do that for an hour and a half, they never would. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, um, my take on it was we had a lot of fly-by-night guys, you know, guys that didn't want to they just pass through. They couldn't handle the training. But I was not a commercial gym. So right. you're, I would, you know, you guys, well, I'll get to this in a second, but you guys were, I was, I'm just hardcore. There was no, I mean, you know, my background and how I got abused. So you guys put up with it. You guys were just strictly hardcore. Uh, You guys are, you can't, and you guys had the day jobs and shit, families, but you guys were just more serious than the example of the gentleman you mentioned now. Um, However, you know how I was back then, how mean, you know, like just riding you guys. uh, I don't do that anymore because there are no more hardcore guys that I run into in my circles. I, I, they're out there. Oh no, I know I said that I run into, okay. Um, there may be hardcore guys out there, but they're not coming to me for training, okay? So I've had to tone it down. I've had to be Mr. Nice Guy. And you know, I hold back from vomiting because there's times when I don't want to be nice because you don't deserve to be treated nicely because you're lazy, you're joking around all the time and not taking the shit seriously. If you can't take it seriously, why should I? Okay. So that's how I look at it. You guys took the stuff seriously. Therefore, we were able to joke and poke fun at each other. And because I already knew deep down, you guys are serious as a heart attack. I miss those days where I could have these killers. I don't, I don't have anybody now. I don't train anybody really. So um, I miss that. And, and I, I think that's why I've lost my desire as a coach because it's, I, I just wish I had you guys again, a group like you, but let's say much bigger, like 20 of you guys uh, would be, would my last years of my life would be very happy talking about golden years. That would make my life golden. If I just had a crew like that, that were, uh, but you asked me, okay, you said sometimes we did conditioning. Sometimes we, because I got the energy of the group. Okay. And you guys were so cohesive. It was so bizarre that like, if you were like falling behind on your conditioning, it just seemed like everybody else was too. You guys were always so much on the same page. So I'm like, okay, we got to focus on the uh, the conditioning a little bit. Let's get that up. And then, then okay, now let's get on these submissions and, you know, whatever. So I, I kind of went off of uh, the energy that was in the school, you know, uh, or in the, in the group here. Uh, I don't know if anybody ever had a better crew of guys than I did with you, with you guys. You brian martin i mean things just got so much better when joe quit coming you know um <laughs> did you notice that it's uh, absolutely true I, yeah, yeah. Right. no but seriously we had a, i don't want to name names and embarrass people but you know that we've had some guys come through that gym that was like come on 
you know, they, they actually almost in a way held us back, um, kind of killed the momentum, but, uh, uh, and you know, that's the, that's the rough thing. And like I was saying, you know, that this is especially, you know, it's very challenging running a commercial school and, and maintaining a hardcore edge without having a, and our main way of doing that is kind of to separate things out, unfortunately, where you can have specific training for the guys that are truly hardcore. Um, but yeah, like there, there's that lowest common denominator aspect. And I think it's very easy to be like, well, you know, I've got two guys in a group of 20 that want to train really hard, which means I got 18 guys that don't. Yeah. So I'll cater to the majority and the minority will suffer. But we'll, we've kind of found, and, you know, still working on perfecting this, you know, it's a work in progress is, you know, more of the rising tide concept where if we push everyone pretty hard then the guys that can already handle it will simply handle it and then the guys that can't handle it yet will see their success and be like well if they can do it i can do it and they'll push harder to try and get there you can't go too far because they'll be like well the only reason he could do it is because he's the better athlete he's 20 years younger and this that and the other thing you know the excuses start coming out but um yeah you know it Again, striking the right balance is, is the biggest challenge because you don't want to go so hard. Again, you know, talking in a commercial sense, uh, you don't want to go so hard that you're going to lose students over it. But you don't want to water things down so much that you're robbing the hardcore guys of what they should really be doing. Yeah, well, we're coming from two different angles because, I did, like I said, I didn't have a commercial gym. I didn't have 20 people. So right. if I did, yeah, things would have probably had to be different. But as far as watering shit down, that was my biggest pet peeve back then when we'd have people come in from out of town and we still, I still get this to this day. It's like, no, Tony, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm not allowed to do this, do this, do this. And well, why are you with me? Because then I, I, I can't, and I made a mistake by sometimes catering to them and like switching things or toning it down. So it wasn't the real shit. I mean, it wasn't the most effective way of doing it because literally they were like, this is the only way we can do these moves. And there were just some moves that we, I just couldn't even go to, you know, it right. wasn't, wasn't even allowed. And um, just talking to Jason Bender yesterday, that still exists. There's still stuff. Although we said it's, it's getting better. Uh, there's still some stuff. So it's, it's difficult for me to um, take a guy, let's just say jujitsu or, you know, whatever it's, you know, ABC tournament and, Show them some stuff. Well, I don't know the tournament. I don't know the rules. I don't know what's allowed, what's not allowed. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's difficult. And back then, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it was so, like, every little town had their own little tournament with their own special rules. It was like, no way you can I mean, keep track. That, that still exists to a degree today. Um, that, I mean, I, I, one of these days I'm going to sit down with a pen and paper and actually go through and, and jot down the sheer number of styles and rule sets that I've competed under. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's going to be an impressive list probably. Um, but even if we just count like jujitsu tournaments, you know, different styles and federations have different rules. Uh, oftentimes they have similar rules, but you know, e- even subtle changes to rules can have massive uh, changes in the, in the techniques that are allowed and the, and the best way, you know, the strategies that you use to, to win a given tournament. So, um, you know, the way I approach it is I'll let the guys know when I teach something 
that is frequently illegal. Okay. Like I'll say, Hey, you guys can't do this in most tournaments under these, under these, you know, under these conditions. Or I'll be like, the only tournament you can get away with this in is this one, um, you know, or, or, or whatnot. And I'll preface it around that um, so that I can still teach what I feel they need to know and what is the most appropriate thing, but so that they understand that if they're going to compete, they should not be doing that. And there's certain things that I'll teach that I'll be like, listen, I don't want you guys to do this to each other in regular sparring. This is too brutal. It has to be saved for strictly competition. And here's the tournaments where you can get away with that. Um, so yeah, like, like, but that's, that's from years of, of learning rule sets as a competitor right. because I was competing under those rules. Um, and I, I find that like a lot of instructors, you know, because they know they're talking to an audience that isn't predominantly filled with competitors, um, they don't necessarily cater to that. They, 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 don't, they don't make sure that the, the students are aware of that. So the default rule set that most students operate under is whatever's a friendly role at the gym. Um, and sometimes that is based at least in part on some rule set um, of competition, but sometimes it's just like, you know, whatever coach basically says it is. So for example, I'll use, I'll use a very noteworthy example here. So heel hooks are forbidden in jujitsu in the gi. They are legal in many systems of no gi competition, although that depends on when they become legal. Okay. So like some, some tournaments, it's only legal once you're a brown belt or above in Nogi other tournaments only requires two years of experience. Okay. Um, I've absolutely trained in jujitsu gyms that would allow heel hooks in the gi during normal rolling. So whenever we would prepare those guys for competition, it became a reductive thing where it's like, Hey, 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 that thing that you're doing all the time in here, that's totally okay. You can't do that anymore. Okay. You have to, you have to take that out of your game for now for the sake of competition, um, which is the exact opposite of certain other gyms where it's like, Oh, we don't normally do that here, but uh, we've got competition coming up. So let's, let's try to add this in, in, in the, you know, two to week, you know, the, the weeks or months leading up to competition. Well, I certainly remember a competition you were in that banned leg locks the day of the tournament <laughs> and yeah. you, because, because of your training. No, I mean, this is not currently how you are, but maybe, but you know, yeah, you got penalized points because you kept instinctively going to those leg locks. And uh, that's something that people have to remember. It's, it's, you know, you may think but under pressure, you know, under, under the stress of a tournament or a life and death situation. Um, for me, Tony Cicchini only, I don't ever want to be bothered worrying about what I cannot do. Okay. Because then it focuses, takes the focus off of my, what I want to do shit. And in, in that case with this tournament, yeah. I mean, you were just instinctively, you know, going to those legs and it cost you, um, cause that, that sucks. But you know, for me, you're right. You're in the business. You're training a lot of these competitors. So it's great that, you know, all these rule sets, I don't need to know those because I, I, I train people few and far between. And the ones that I do train want to know how to kill people. You know, they're not worried about winning a trophy. So I don't have to worry about that. Now, if I was working out of your school, well, yeah, I'd have to spend a week or however long it takes studying the rules and watching some videos to see, you know, uh, how, what you can get away with, what you can't. 
Um, no, no, no reason for me to do that. But, but also though, you guys, when you trained with me, never got to learn the strikes because man, we were back. This was back in the, everybody just wanted to grapple, grapple, grapple. I mean, you know, it's, it's a shame. And one very, not often did we work on strikes, uh, rare, sometimes, but not much. Uh, and that, that always, that was another thing that I wish we, we could have covered more of, you know, um, and, and nobody knows my whole system, you know, that, cause you didn't work the strikes and the weapons. Right. And, I mean, yeah, um, I, I got a very, I got a very small taste of it, but I also, not, again, not to just make excuses, but like one of the reasons I liked grappling and have always liked grappling is I have terrible eyesight. And once I make contact with somebody that doesn't matter, right. But it, just at the sort of at the end of striking range, you know, uh, like the distance that people, and again, I'm small. So like the distance that people can hit me versus the distance that I can hit them, you know, I, I always had to close range no matter what. And once I'm that close, people are grabbing me regardless, you know, only, well, only really disciplined strikers wouldn't. So remember I gave you privates at the, my gym in Bensonville for boxing. So I can, mm-hmm. I can agree. You're, you're better off grabbing. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't say terrible. But, you know, your heart wasn't in it. It was, eight, it was 6 o'clock in the morning or whatever. It was, like, really early. You were tired, you know. It was, like, before you had to go to work. And, uh, yeah, it was, so it wasn't like the – but what's beautiful about all of this is that, um, you know, the martial arts in general, there's something for everybody. It may not be grappling. may not be boxing. It, it might be kung fu for – for this guy or taekwondo or hapkido who it doesn't matter right and i i i just don't i would never want to snuff somebody's dream or goal and i think a lot of people out there especially years ago were snuffing everybody oh this sucks that sucks you know and then people were like that they, they were on the internet are like well i better not take taekwondo or whatever the style wasn't necessarily taekwondo but i don't want to take this style because they'll make fun of me or you know it's ineffective bullshit you know it's just like when i'm i'm stuck going to a planet fitness because there's no other gyms around here i'm not gonna get i'll never get super strong again working there but nobody in there is going to be competing for mr olympia okay that's not what the gym's all about they're just there to get in shape and a little bit and have fun so yeah it was definitely i mean that was definitely a different era i mean there's you know there's still attitude like that plenty um but yeah it was Man, I, I, I don't want to say that it ended because there, there's still that element, but like the sense of challenge and like the winds of change from like the early UFCs and whatnot were pretty fresh in the air still. You know, what well, the first UFC was what, like 93, I think. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 And, and I started training with you in 99. Um, so that was like, that was just, that was the thing at the time. <laughs> Um, yeah, I get you know, it. No, it, I, I'm not knocking you. I get it. You know, but you know, uh, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. You know, and everybody that would come in from around the world or around the country to train—that's what they wanted: submissions, submissions, and all of that. I gave it to them. You know that. But I, I really wanted to do some other stuff. You know that, and you couldn't rip on most people because that was like, oh my god, they couldn't. Uh, yeah, but you know what? It's just times change, but. For me, I'm still going to do what I do. You're going to do what you do. Uh, and I remember a lot of times some of the stuff, the talks that I had with Lou Thez and 
exchanging moves and setups. And here was a guy that was 80 and I was in my thirties and, you know, we were still exchanging ideas, but it wasn't foreign to either one of us. Okay. It wasn't like all of a sudden a crazy thing from another system that, you know, we're just not going to absorb because we were, we had such strong beliefs in what we did and time tested and all of that. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm always like open-minded about stuff like that, but you have to also be prepared to get it shot down. So like, like when Lou would ask me to show him something, I knew full well, I'm prepared for him to maybe be negative about it. Okay. Which, and when he would show me stuff, he thought maybe Tony's going to be negative. It was just weird that we weren't negative. We both liked everything we would show each other all the time, but right. Yeah, because I've had guys say, I saw this, you know, this real special martial art famous guy do this move. And I always say, that's not a good move. Here, I'll show you how to counter it. But Joe, Joe saw me do this several times at, at, at Jason Bender's old place um, where, where they catch a move. And I'm like, no. Yeah. But then again, I'll see something once in a while from someone that'll be like, I like that. Okay, that's actually good. That's a good one. So, uh yeah, it's just you got to roll with it. You know, you got to you got to accept to go with the bad. So, no, so you know, I, you, I, go go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I, I I made reference to this earlier, but I wanted to I wanted to get back to it before I forget about it. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna storyteller for a moment here, and I need you to if you can recall to fill in the details and the numbers, okay? Right. Um, but let let me see if you remember this day. And I'm pretty sure about these details, but you know, it's been, it's been years. Maybe I'm misremembering it a little bit. So at the time, I believe Martin and I were the only super regular students. We, we still had guys coming in on like weekends and, you know, guys would come in for, for trips and uh, to Chicago and whatnot. But at this particular time, I, I think it was mostly just the two of us working out pretty regularly with you. And I remember, I'm pretty sure you brought us over to the Addison Park District, okay, at their oh. new facility, uh, okay. which is which is right off like uh, what is it like Lake uh, Street and shit, yeah, yeah. You you know the one I'm talking about, okay? Yeah. And they had like a big indoor track, okay. Um, and I didn't know what to expect that particular day, but uh, you took you took us up there, and uh, you had. You had the little clicker to keep count of things and I'm like, okay, we're going to do some conditioning. And I was like, Oh, okay, great. You know, my, my least favorite part of all of this, especially, especially whenever I have to do conditioning with Martin who had amazing cardio. So I'm like, Oh God, is he going to push what I'm doing? Or is he going to push what Martin's doing? Cause those were at different levels at that point. Um, so you had us, you know, you had a sprint around the track and then, Sometimes you would have us jog. I don't remember if it was like sprint, jog, sprint, jog constantly. And then when we made it back to you after a sprint or after a jog, we would do a seemingly random number of squats and push-ups. And then as soon as we were done with that, it was like, okay, this is a sprint. Sprint around the track. We'd go running around the track and we'd get back and there'd be no rest. And it'd be like, okay, well, now you're back here. You know, do do your squats, do your push-ups, and then, okay, well, this is a jog. Go ahead and jog around the track and, you know, jog around the track. And 
then you come back and you do some squats and push-ups. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a set pattern. It wasn't like, okay, I need 20 push-ups and 10 squats, or it, it was just like seemingly like, you know, it was always the same, like, like 10 and 10 or, or five and five or whatever, but I never knew what I was going to get. I, I might sprint down the track and come back to you and it'd be like 20 of something, or I might sprint down the track and come back to you and it'd be like three. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this went on and I was definitely convinced that you were going to kill me. <laughs> Um, because, because my sprints got slower and slower and, uh, the pushups got harder and harder and the jog around the track started becoming like a real fast walk. There'd be moments where I was at the other end of the track where you couldn't quite yell at me. And I'd be like, maybe I can hide behind this pillar briefly (laughs) (laughs) and catch my breath. Uh, but there was no hiding. Uh, and I, I want like, Here's where I start struggling with the actual numbers because it's weird. I, I, I vaguely recall once we were done, you said, I don't remember if it was 55 minutes or an hour and 55 minutes, but I'm pretty sure 55 was in there. Like that number is burned in my brain. Um, and I'm pretty sure you had said it was either under an hour or under two hours. I, 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 I just can't remember. And you're like, okay, you guys are done. And I'm like drenched in sweat. I'm dying. I just want to lay there. And do you remember the number of push-ups and squats that you made us do in between those those laps? Well, the total you, number. If you rewind this video, the minute you started that story, I st- I went like this. You'll see this when you watch this. I went like this. Uh-huh. You did a thousand. You did yep. so it went one. I knew where you were going with this. That's why I went <laughs> like this. I had you beat. You did a thousand squats and push-ups, not consecutively, but that was Correct. my goal with the clicker. And yeah, it was like two hours. Um, okay, it was hour an hour fifty-five, 55 I think. Then it was yeah. hour fifty-five, but it was only because you know I was pacing you with the with the squats and all of that jazz. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that was yeah. the magic but, number. Um, because see, that's the thing. That's a milestone. Yeah, it's a milestone, but it was also something that if you had told me going in there that day, Javier, today's the day you're doing a thousand pushups and a thousand squats. I don't know that I would have done it. You had to trick me and you had the you had the coaching acumen to do so. But you you knew what it was going to do, what it was going to take rather for me to, to make that breakthrough and be like, Oh, I can do this. And yeah, I could, like I said, I couldn't remember all the numbers involved. I was pretty confident. And I told the story, right. Fortunately, <laughs> what well, I, told I remember it my it students. because the thousand is the thing, you know? Um, right. And that's why I did one of these numbers at the beginning of your story, mm-hmm. because I knew where you're going with this. Uh, well, I didn't know until you got it a few seconds into it. I'm like, yeah, well, the that's thing, yeah. the thing, it, it, you know, um, it's okay. I don't want to just say it's just a number. Um, but really in the end of the scheme of things, it is just a number. And the trick is, okay, so I did a thousand squats today. Okay. Um, well then let's make it, you know, I did a thousand squats this afternoon. Then it's like, I did a thousand squats in a row. Okay. That's how you want to ultimately get it. Right. So the first part is your mind getting over that big hump of, of doing it. Now that doesn't mean I can take anybody off the street. I mean, you guys were already halfway decent in shape, but 
you guys were lagging in the squats and the push-ups a little bit, I think. Um, yeah, I'm glad you remembered that because I, I'm glad you remember that because that's an important that's an important milestone, man. You know that you can yeah. do it. But that's what I was talking about before. You know, like I can't go into a typical hour-long jujitsu class as a jujitsu coach and be like, okay, guys, we're gonna do you know, 500 squats and 500 push-ups. Yeah. Um, you know, A, most people aren't down for that. Okay. Um, and, and, and B, I probably would need quite a bit of time building up to it. And that, that's not a, you know, like, like several of the guys that I'm thinking of right now probably could work their way up to it, just like we worked our way up to it. But that was something that we did. And I want to be like, without question, and there were definitely a few times in my youth where I, where I snapped back at you about, you know, like, I can't do it. And because I, I felt like I couldn't, and you believed in me and pushed me and got me through those limitations. Um, but yeah, like, like that's one of those things that's, that's, that was very different about our training. And I, I think you will find, you know, there are hardcore guys in the various combat, combative sports disciplines that, that have that, you know, sure. For, for sure there, there are in wrestling and judo and, and Thai boxing and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, the, the, the average person, uh, coming into a school looking to learn martial arts for even if they even if they want to be there for fitness um probably isn't looking for that level of of intensity uh and yeah yeah you, you're only going to be able to do that with generally speaking the the special few yeah and you guys were special people and and i knew what i could get i i i knew what you guys were capable of uh at least I knew the baseline, okay, which meant I knew that you guys could do a thousand. Uh, if it was your first day, no, I, you'd get hurt or something bad would happen. But I always knew the limit, the the bottom limit. That's all I cared about. If you could go beyond that limit, that's bonus. You know, that's like the cherry on top of the ice cream. You know, I wouldn't do that with you guys weightlifting, obviously, because that was a whole different set of uh, training. But I mean, there was that one time. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we've had some, <laughs> yeah, we had some interesting weightlifting things too going down in the days, man. Uh, but yeah, those are good old days, and I get it. You're in a different setting, man. You're in a strict commercial setting, which you have to be. Um, and there are professional fight gyms that just my kind of that my stuff like that wouldn't absolutely wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't work either. Um, right. You guys were like I say, a special case. Uh, in a good way um and kind of old school but yet more you know it's like a, my, my whole life was violent my training was violent so i kind of wanted you guys to get in a quasi-violent uh kind of thing um but if you're strictly into the sport world you don't need that you know you 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 guys weren't into that into that um but yeah those were just good old days and we worked under the worst possible conditions no air conditioning, sometimes no heat, concrete, no mats. Remember all that? Man, it was, oh, yeah. Uh, then we got those little tiny little square mats. And then when we got that one little wrestling mat, that was like, wow, we we, we hit pay dirt here. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I constantly remind my students, not in, you know, not in a harsh and negative way, but like, I'm just like, you, you guys don't realize just how good you got it. We got we got air conditioning here, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, 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 we've got, we got a crash pad 
for big throws. We've got, you know, an abundance of equipment. The, the whole space here is dedicated to this. You, you don't have machinery throwing, throwing yeah. uh, metal shavings anywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know how much you know, time I spent on the mat with you? I had to pick this out of your hair, pick this out of your beard. <laughs> shit. I mean, it was, uh, I don't remember my beard being that much of a problem, but yeah, I definitely, definitely have picked metal shavings out of oh. my hair. Yeah, when we talk about this, you know, like, like there's a certain audience when I tell these types of stories where they're like, yeah, that, fu- that fucking sounds awesome. And then there's other guys like, how did you how did you do that? Why did you do that? And I'm like, this is what we had to do. Yeah. Like, you know, like I, I would I, I don't know that it would have been the same, you know, like like maybe maybe it could have been possible, but I, I don't believe we would have produced the same results if we had some cozy posh gym with all the amenities. No, you know? I don't think so. No. Yeah. And the other stories that we can't tell publicly of stuff that went on over there, that wouldn't ever happen. The, the police would raid the joint, you know, I mean, some of the fun <laughs> stuff, we, crazy stuff we've done, especially with Kevin oh, no. getting involved. Yeah. Now, now you've got people's curiosity going. Yeah. Oh, let them begin. Hey, Duber, excuse me. Does anybody want? <laughs> we'll go there another time. But man, the fun shit. I don't even think Joe knows this story. We'll have to talk about oh, it. I know some of them. Oh, man. But don't, yeah, you're right. I don't think so because it wouldn't have inspired me because I learned under similar conditions. I never was to a, a, a boxing gym I was, but that, that was never to a martial arts school. So that's all for, it was all foreign to me. Um, and yeah, man, I go to some of these gyms I'm like, holy cow, look at this. It's so beautiful, you know, but, uh, and I've had hardcore people like Brian Klaus and others that came to the, to, uh, to the gym, like in Bensonville. And they're like, yeah, man, this is, and, and that's a step up from Bensonville. I mean, uh, from Stone Park, but they're like, yeah, this is hardcore, man. This is what we like. This, this is not commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, but these are guys that never were at the tool and die shop. I'm like, Man, you guys, <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know, right? Um, well, fortunately, we have a little bit of video that survived out there. So, you know, yeah. they well, the can routine, live vicariously. Well, the my videos are yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, I remember people wanting to do a Mecca because this is the home of, of catch wrestling in America. This is where it all is, you know, the tool and die shop. And even after it was gone, the tool and die shop was gone. I still had a couple people that said, can you drive me over there? Can I just see where it was? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem, because I didn't live that far from there. So, like, yeah, boom, let's go. Uh, those were the days. And, again, um, I think people came in there. I know there was, you know, there's shit. It's internet. But there was people that came in there. They're like, wow. I'm like, they're like, you're kidding. This is how you, you guys train? I'm like, yeah, this is how we train. You know, um, good old days, man. I could do that again, because that's all I've ever known. Uh I got kind of spoiled going to Bensonville, you know, because that was like a real big step up But uh, for me. But, you know, when I go to other people's gyms, I, you know, it's, it, it, they're nice. They're like, this is awesome. But I just, you know, I'm used to like driving a junker automobile. You know, I'm used to that, that stuff, you know, uh, for me. But uh, yeah, it, it's cool. Those are just good old days. We have so many memories. I think one of these days, Javier, we should get together, a bunch of us, and just record. They're sitting around together in a group, just our thoughts and our memories before before they're lost. Um, and then 
we'll always have it, you know, posted like three, four hour video of the history, the real history of it. And we could probably talk very candidly about the stuff <laughs> uh, that that would be kind of cool to do. I think because my memory's fading quicker than I'd like to admit it. And I, I, I'd like to get stuff down because um, sometimes what I need is like I, I, I totally forgot about the Addison Trail thing until all you did is say it and it triggered it. Right. Mm-hmm. For me to just bring it up probably wouldn't happen. But you triggered it. And I remember that. And oh, yeah. I did something like that once at Triton College. You weren't there. Same thing, different crew. Got him to do a lot of push-ups and and strictly push-ups. Um, but that was a good day. Those those were good good times. Uh, I remember one guy who emailed me about wanting to come and work out. I'm fit, he said. I'm fit. I'm like, I don't know if you are. Just come to the gym. So well, he showed up. He couldn't make it. He he quit like after like five or seven minutes of admitting you're fit to Tony saying <laughs> well, yeah, no, and the, the you signed said, your own death warrant at that point well he yeah he couldn't handle it and he's like oh you're right this is too tough but I'll tell you what I'm going to go train and I'll come back in six months and then I can be able to handle it I said no you won't I said there's no other school in the world that you're going to get this specifically the only way to get good in six months is to stay here and I wasn't even charging the guy he couldn't come back he just couldn't handle it he was too much um just like when we we had, well you you remember that one kid that used to come to Triton Javier and I had to finally you guys made me tell him like you got to wash your clothes because you you stink and he hardly spoke. Hey, I I started washing my clothes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he was fine up until the ripping, and I warned him about this. You know, yeah. I, I, va- was- I was going to say I vaguely remember this guy, but. I can't put a name or a face to him at this point. Like, like I'd be hard pressed. Even if you showed me a picture, be like, yeah, that's the guy. But I remember well, the, Martin uh, knows him. yeah, I think Martin knows. I'll have to ask him because yeah, the ripping just did it. I mean, he lost his whole emotionally and everything. And that was it. He got crushed and never came back, which I warned him that might happen. I said, don't let it happen to you. You know? And uh, yeah, that's, that's too, that's unfortunate, you know, but we encounter that today. We encounter guys that you just, you know, you they they won't they won't accept the ripping. You know, I, I, all right, I guess I can't do it. Back in my day, it would have been like, well, then you get out. I'll leave. Right. You can't handle it. Go. Now I don't do that. I can't do that. But I guess we should probably wrap this up. We've been going out for almost two hours. Joe has hello? it already. Jesus, almost. Joe, hello. Yeah. Wake up. Um. Yeah. Thanks. Ooh, ooh. You guys, uh, do we start already? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. I, I guess. Yeah. Um. In well, some way, some closing questions. Well, I actually have some like non sequiturs that could go for another couple hours. And I was just, I was kind of reflecting on in some ways I'm, I'm disappointed in a sense because um, yeah, we really didn't cover with a resource like Javi with all his, his diverse experience and exposure. I have a lot of like technical questions that I think maybe he would be one of the few people in the world that could answer those. We'll have him on again and just do that. Well, that, I guess that was my point is that we, let's not wait another year or two to have you back. Let's try and make this a little bit more regular, maybe quarterly or something, or especially if you have like a seminar or something going on at your school that you want to plug, come on in, you know, we'll plug it. And then I'll, I'll ask away because I, like I said, I mean, obviously you guys have got so many great stories from back in the day that I think everybody want to hear. So I think this is a real success, but then I was like, damn, man, I didn't ask him about this or that or the other thing. Right. I mean, that's just what happens when you put 
two old guys together, they inevitably talk about the past. That's especially that's when clearly... there's Italian blood going here. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> we, didn't even, we haven't even gotten to the Elmwood Park era. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We got to get to that next time, right? Well, no, I want to thank everybody, though. I, I've been getting uh, a couple of people that are not even martial artists that I've turned on them, our podcasts um, that just love them. They're not, they have nothing to do with martial arts. And I'll, Tom Fayella is one of them. I'm giving them accordion lessons. Hi, Tom. Hi, Jane. They love these podcasts because, um, you know, uh, it's just a cast of characters. And Tom got turned down when I had Corey Pesatoro on, who was a world-class accordionist, jazz accordionist. And, and now he's kind of hooked watching all these podcasts. Uh, and I, don't, I told him you were going to be on Javier. I, make sure he's going to watch this. But, uh, yeah, I don't get anything out of this other than the camaraderie of, of, of having guests on. And, of course, you're my dearest friend. You're, you're, you're probably now maybe – you may be – well, you and Brian and Bruce are Bruce. probably the longest – my oldest Chicago friends now that I can think of because since Kevin died um, – right. I, I I mean, there may be somebody again. My brain's not working that I'm forgetting, but I don't think so. Uh, so you guys are like the last ties that I have because when you said I knew you '99, so I had been living here 12 years. So you know, at least two thirds of my life here in Chicago, you've been a part of it. Right. You know, um, and Bruce knew me I think since '95. So he knew me a few years before you. So I was here like eight years. So Bruce, you know, but you and I were a lot closer, like socially and, and stuff like that. And um, I'll never forget the the blind date you set me up on. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, wow. Well, let's, uh, let's not go with that story. Yeah, let's, no, let's end no. on a high note. Come on, man. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Joe, Joe, you were going to ask me those technical questions. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Hey, I'm free for another blind date, though, now, uh, Javier. So like I'll when you say that, does she have amends. to be blind? <laughs> well, I want her Lucky. to find me attractive. So, yes, she probably should be blind, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, anyway, I everybody. I, huh? I, th- I think I got somebody. Good. Well, everybody, listen, thanks for watching the, or listening either way to the Snap No Tap. And then, um, well, I don't know if we'll have a special guest next week, but we will definitely be on next week. So, before we get to next week, I want to wish everybody in America that's listening to this a uh, very happy Thanksgiving, because that's going to be in a, a couple days here, a few days. Um, and Joe, do you have any uh, question, uh, closing uh, statements? And then Javier will probably have some. No, no, just thanks again, Javi, for uh, making the time for us. I obviously are busy. I'm really happy for your success and that you've gone full-time uh, coaching. That's awesome that you're getting yeah. all this knowledge. Um, so just keep up with the good work and like, yeah, hopefully we can swing by the school and see you sometime and uh, have you, like I said, I will be bothering you to be back in the near future. So and post to school and all that. Yeah. Please YouTube send me page. links and any pictures you want posted for social media, of course, and we will get that uh, going so we can plug it. So, but yeah, thanks again. Thanks for having me on guys. Uh, you know, for me, uh, it, it's always a, a pleasure, you know, reminiscing about a time that, uh, I mean, for me, it was, it was, it was my youth. It was, uh, it was some of the best years of my life. Um, and I could say this, you know, unequivocally, Tony 
is one of the most important figures in my life that shaped me, not just as a, as a martial artist, not just as an athlete, but as a human being. So anytime guys. Thank you. I'll see you guys next week. All right. Thank you.